take up our Bibles and return to our study of the Elijah narrative, turning tonight to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, where we take for our text this evening, verses 41 through 46. And so looking even through other people's uh, series on Elijah, so many of them end with the Mount Carmel account. That here is the victory, here is the wonder of what that is, and yet wanting to move our way all the way to when Elijah is taken up for the very reason of saying there is more gospel, there is more blessing, but also the, the reminder that just because that victory has been given, it isn't fully achieved yet. And so there will still be more prophets. There are still those that have to come. And so even in our own waiting of this already and not yet, there's still much lesson to be learned even from the prophet. And so that begins then even in this picture that God gives not only of this small cloud and the rain that is given, but also in the reordering of priority that needs to happen even in a run back to Jezreel. But we'll get to that later. So let's hear these words first. First Kings 18, beginning at verse 41. Hear now the word of the living God. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go, ahead, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the wonder of your profound victory there at Mount Carmel, consuming the altar and everything in it, a testimony that the salvation of your people would be that of consuming, Lord, that sacrifice that we would not be, that we would do nothing, Father, but cry out to you in the faith that you have given for you have accomplished all things for our salvation. Father, you worked a great victory in the slaughter of all the prophets of Baal, cleansing your land, and yet there was still one driving that bit of remaining theology. And she was there in Jezreel. There was a king who loved his wife more than your word. There was work still to be done. And yet you are a God of promise. And you show yourself again, even in your word, faithful to it. And so may we be mindful of the same, Lord, and all that your word teaches us tonight. May it be applied to our hearts by the word of your Holy Spirit. And by way of his work, Lord, may we continue to draw, be drawn more and more closely to you in thanksgiving for sure promises in Christ, in whose name we pray. Well, children of God called to be saints, now what? Now what? 
It's a response that many people speak after hearing the great fiery victory of Mount Carmel and the utter annihilations of the prophets of Baal. Because if we were to speak very candidly about the significance of the work of Elijah to each other, or, or even listening to other people in other churches who aren't listening to this series right now, many of them would speak of that day only. Even for some of you, I can't wait to hear sermons on Mount Carmel. But there's more there. Because to do so, to only give our attention there, would to be to miss the wonder of what that victory means and what that victory was meant to accomplish. But there's still more application here. And so in that way, we could think about it in terms of the Easter season that we've just come through. The victory of Jesus Christ on the cross is worthy of abundant praise, abundant remembrance. We love it every year that we come to it. We are so thankful for it. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Yet that victory must be embraced and believed. While victory has been accomplished there, the war still rages, and we are longing then for that last day. And so until that day, people must cry out to God in repentance by the gift of faith for the cleansing of their sin and the sure receipt of that promise, that which has been kept in our Savior. And so the power in that moment of that justification is undeniable. But after that comes sanctification. After that comes the living out of Christ's promises, out of his righteousness. And so for Israel, yes, Mount Carmel becomes a massive event. But something more is required. Something still is missing. And so, yes, confession has been made. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It is the confession of the moment. And while we are thankful for it in terms of the darkness of the people at Israel, at that moment, it has to be more. Because we still haven't heard something. Israel has forsaken the Lord. And in so doing, has reaped for herself all of his wrath, all of his promised curses. The covenant breaking enacted the Lord's promise of keeping his blessing from them until their hearts were turned back. But has that over two-year portion of no rain and drought and famine, has it changed them? Are they different? Because until now, the people could only see the drought, the consequence, not the covenant breaking, which was the cause. And so, yes, the Lord has answered in power, in word and fire. He has consumed the altar, the entirety of the sacrificial blood, that which was shed, that precious water poured out on the sacrifice. He has received it all. Confession has been made. A statement of who God is. But now what? Because they've just left. They go back to their home. The show's over. Where's the contrition? Where's the calling out in repentance and faith? Where is the change outside of the slaughter of Baal's prophets? Where's the faith? And where is the same in the life of Ahab? 
because we don't see it. We don't hear it. For Israel, forgiveness needs to be sought. Everyone already knew that the Lord was God. They should have never stopped saying that. Where is the repentance? Where is the reconciliation? They need to cry out for the restoration of an altar between man and God. For the restoration of covenant relationship and thereby receiving again the joy and the blessing of covenant promise. They needed to cry out not just for deliverance, not just for justification as it were, but for the ongoing work of sanctification. Be in and among us. Continue to shape us and change us and fashion us that we would be brought near to you, God, and that you would be praised by and witnessed to by us. So now what? Now the people need to pray. Now the king needs to humble himself. Now the word of God needs to be heeded and obeyed. Now Yahweh needs to continue his work that they would come to know the fullness of the victory that he has shown to them and consume before them as it points directly to the need for a better mediator and a better altar and a better savior to a completed sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And so that blessing is shown in our text by rain. That is what is needed. God, we need to, you to give what is needed. And so Yahweh gives rain. What is needed is prayer. What is needed is another show of great covenant faithfulness, even as Yahweh and his prophet stands before his people to demand it. Now what? The prophet prays for God's forgiveness that Israel would receive a promised rain and a promised reigning. The mediator prophet prays for God's forgiveness that Israel will receive a promised rain and a promised reigning. And so we consider three things tonight. First, the sound of rain and the need for interceding in verses 41 and 42. The sight of rain and the need for persevering in verses 43 and 44. And then the significance of rain and the need for restoring in verses 45 and 46. But it starts with the sound of rain but also then that need for interceding. Because there will be no rain except by what? Except by my word. It was God's true promise. And so it's interesting then, isn't it, that even in this great victory, that which is accomplished, there is an instant rain. That's kind of the way that we want to look at this. Victory has been achieved, so give the blessing already. That isn't what we read. A salvation has been accomplished, as it were, but it hasn't yet been applied. And yet the Lord was faithful. He would continue to be faithful. Faithful to working through his word, through his word bearer, through his prayers, through his presence. And yet in what God has done in consuming the sacrifice and altar altogether, all we have yet is an echo. We still only have a shadow. We have a sound that should have directed the people more than to just a statement of fact, but to a fulsome trust and wholehearted obedience. And that leads to a contrast here in our text that we don't perhaps see or hear right away. Look again at verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. 
Because as Elijah has come back from the slaughter of the prophets of Baal, he comes to whom? To a dazed and confused Ahab, who probably is standing there saying, what just happened? What is this? The people have heeded the command of the prophet without speaking to the king. Now what? Now my rule and reign is in question. Now my power and authority is gone. And now I stand before a living God and before his prophet. Now what? We think his response would be absolutely ridiculously easy to figure out. And yet it still speaks to his heart. To how far from God he still really is. Baal has been shown to be impotent. Ahab, the Yahweh of your fathers, has proved himself yet again. What you should be doing, now what, is getting on your knees and crying out for deliverance. But he doesn't do that. No, he's simply giving a command to go and eat and drink. You're like, well, this is great, right? Where is his heart? Yes, it's the word of the Lord. Yes, in that way it is a testimony of the restoration of blessing. But not because of Ahab. Not because he's even asked for it. But because God is faithful. And yet what is being referenced here? It's not rain, but what? It's the sound. It's the sound of rain. A restoration was coming. A reversal would happen. And so now how is he going to respond to that? If there's the sound of rain and still the sound of the cries of the slaughter and the wonder of God taking up that altar for himself, no thanks, I'm good, can I pray with you? There isn't that. So verse 42, Ahab went up to eat and drink. There's no protest. On face value, we look and say, he's finally being obedient to the word bearer. But what is missing is what is important here. Why isn't there a call to prayer and to fasting and to real repentance and to faith, of trusting, of putting hope in the God who would be faithful to restore and bless? And yet there's probably good reason for why God wouldn't call someone like Ahab to do that. That wouldn't, that would be God and his prophet asking for Ahab to do what was against his heart and his nature. It'd be taking up empty words at this point. He hasn't been altogether changed yet. He wasn't a faithful king. That even in this moment, he is still found limping between two opinions. After all that he has witnessed, he still can't figure it out. This speaks to his heart. Would the Lord have received Ahab's prayer? Certainly not on the basis of anything he had said or done. And so here is the contrast between a king who is faithful who goes through the motions of obedience without real heart commitment. But now here we are brought before the word bearer, the prophet and mediator, who would show himself to be faithful. And Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. 
Again, the work of the prophet clearly contrasting with the apathy of this moment at the king. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He prays. He prays. He prostrates himself in the most extreme way. With all of his physical being, with all of who he is, he gives himself to intercession for the people to receive what God has shown and given and promised. He intercedes on the basis of what God has revealed in his word and the sign that has been given. There is the sound of rain. This is only by the word of the Lord. And now he claims it. That he is praying for the people in calling out for repentance and obedience. That, Lord, this would not just be a show of sound and fury signifying nothing, but that the confession made at Mount Carmel would have true and lasting and real and proper effect. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So he is to be listened to and obeyed. In him, life is to be found and in no one else. Make that profession real. So yes, this people had a great deal of need for such intercession. And yet, who does it come from? Oh, it's Elijah. It's the super prophet. He's the man among men. He's going to show himself in the transfiguration. He's the... It's intercession from a man just like us. Elijah prayed. He had no power in himself to bring anything about. He had no power in himself to bring back the widow's son, no power to bring the consuming of the altar and sacrifice, no power in this moment to receive the substance of all God's promises. He has nothing in himself. All that Elijah is, is that which is on his knees doing. That is what it is. Israel needed his holiness. Israel needed his praying. That's the power of the picture. Not doing anything else. Certainly not giving yourself just to outward obedience. But to that life in that secret place. To a life lived on one's knees. Intercession that the sound of the promise, even of that rain, should call us to in our helplessness is our need for God to do and to give all that he has promised. It's how he could do it. We plead on the basis of his promises alone. And Elijah gives himself to it. To intense prayer. God, complete your work. God, keep all your word. It's what leads Van Veer in his commentary to write this quote. The prophet prays so intensely and with such energy that one would think the blessing depended entirely on his prayer. End quote. What a picture for us. That this isn't just a one-off prayer. It's not just five minutes spoken on the way out the door. It is intense, deep, thoughtful, fellowship-filled prayer. This alone, Father, is what will change the hearts of your people. This is what will bring them back. This is what will work in Ahab, the change that we need. Through prayer. 
Yahweh showed that he is God. The God who answers in power and in fire. But now, Lord, show yourself faithful in the giving of rain. Give what you promise. Give what is best. Don't just give us the sound of it. Not just the taste of it. Give us the reality. Open the heavens and give us what we don't deserve. Lord, you said there'd be neither dew nor rain these years except by your word. Please give your word. You said that I must go and show myself to Ahab and you would send rain upon the earth. I have walked in faithfulness. Now give more than the sound of rain. Send rain, Father. Father, my prayer echoes Solomon's great prayer, which I now pray in intercession for this fickle and apathetic people. 1 Kings 8, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk. And grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Restore to us, Father, not only the joy of your salvation, but that blessed place in relationship to you as your people. And so what an example that this serves for us. Not only in that life of prayer that we are called to, but the way in which he calls, that we would come as boldly as Elijah has with requests firmly founded in the promises of Yahweh who works faithfully by every one of his covenant promises. Is this our resolve? Not to just take the easy outward way that looks like obedience, but our hearts are far from it. But a real, true commitment to him. Dale Ralph Davis writes, quote, God's will is certain, but he delights to do his will in answer to the prayers of his people. We take his promises and turn them into prayers in order that the promises may come to pass, end quote. Are we calling out to our God on the basis of sure promises in Christ? Because in that way, these blessings pour down by way of faith and repentance and obedience. So we're called simply to pray down his will, ensure trust in that God and in every promise of his word, trusting that Christ intercedes for us, that the spirit prays for us and groans that words cannot express, intercession that will res resolve in the receipt of all that's been promised. But that rain doesn't come immediately. That's still the tension even after these verses. And it instead leads to the sight of rain and the need for persevering in that in the second place. And I have to be honest with you that the outcome of that is frustrating to me as I read it. That that was really a, a hurt for my own study this week because God, God, you said this is what he needs to do and this is how he will have it. So God, if you are sovereign and if you have chosen to deliver this people from their idolatry, why do they need to cry out for you to do that? Just do it. Just do it. Why do we need to pray for the thing that he promised? 
Why do we need to keep praying for the world? Why is prayer a means of grace? Why is prayer the chief part of the thankfulness that God requires of us? Because he wants us to be driven right back to him and right back to his word every single time. If my people turn and pray. This is his calling. And yet at this moment, Israel was believing what? It's enough just to to make a confession. It's enough for God to reveal himself to be the true God. As long as we say that, it's enough. Rather than seeing their real need to call out to this God for true salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you need to call upon the Lord. We need to cry out and keep crying out on the basis of sure commands and promises. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, I mean, this, this theme is wrought throughout almost all the Old Testament. It's not just here. You'd think we get to that point where we understand it. But he continues, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That forgiveness becomes the part that we're like, where is it? Why aren't they asking for it? Why aren't they calling out for it? Ahab doesn't do this. The people don't stick around for a prayer meeting. No one prophet stands alone to speak God's word and to be used of him in bringing about a victory. And so now that one man is called simply to bow low, set apart to an office, to be prophet and mediator in this moment in the line of Moses. And yet we know we need a better mediator than that. We need a better intercessor than that. And so Elijah does what Ahab should have done on behalf of his people, what Israel should have done. He bows, calling out for salvation, not on his own basis, not on his own work, but again, hear it clearly, sure promises of God. That is always to be our response to the great and saving works of God. Crying out for salvation, not on the basis of me, but on the basis of thee, on you, God, and all of your saving benefits. Praying that he would apply them to us. And so Elijah prays. And we don't know for how long, and we don't know what he says. That isn't the point here. But he says to his servant, verse 43, go up now, look towards the sea. Elijah fully expects and anticipates the receipt of the promises. He bows down low. He continues to trust. He prays knowing the Lord that he will do what he says. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. What? Nothing? There's nothing? Elijah's prayer for the widow's son answered immediately. His prayer for the consuming fire and presence of God answered immediately. But now there's a delay? 
He's given a sound of rain, but no substance. A promise of rain, but no immediate fulfillment. Elijah prays and prays and prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. No answer. And if we were on our knees in that way, more often than not, our temptation would be to stop. Our temptation would be to doubt God's promises, to give up, to be impatient, to struggle against his timing, to struggle against his will, to struggle against his ways. And yet even Elijah, a man just like us, is forced to wait upon the Lord. But that's the picture here of power. He too has to wait. The fulfillment doesn't come immediately, but we hold on to what? It is sure to be. The sound was real. He's spoken it. He's given it. And the rain would come. But he has to wait. Wait upon his timing. Wait on his way. And so do we. Sure promises in Christ. But we have to wait the truth we find in James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. God, just give me what I ask for and give it to me now. Steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The lack of rain wasn't the thing right now. It was the lack of the Lord, and he's calling them back to himself, even Elijah. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. And so, yes, it's surely a test of the prophet's resolve. And he says, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again. I long for it. But what do we know about Elijah even in that interim, James 5? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and there's a comma. There's time. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. It's a testimony that the power of Elijah's praying is not his. That the power of your praying is not yours. It never was. But this great work of intercession simply gives testimony to the power of whom? That even in this text, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Covenant blessing would only come in full through the accomplished work of a perfect mediator. That's what we see on Carmel and would only be applied through the powerful working and interceding of the perfect paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Here is all of redemption writ large at Carmel. And the seventh time he said, behold, see, look. A little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. He sees the smallest beginnings of that which is promised. Not just for Elijah to see, but for his servant to see too. 
look and see, for a little cloud would grow and grow in God's grace into a blessed and promised rainmaker. The small beginnings are enough for Elijah to say, let's go. Because we will have it in full. Go say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. You need to go because the Lord is going to pour out his promises. You'll see it and you'll experience it. And it will call you, Ahab, and all of Israel to account for it as it brings them all before the significance of that rain and the need for restoring and that in the last plague. Because all these things have come by the word and will of the Lord. So the word's been spoken. Get a move on. Rain is coming. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain. I see some of you men, when we get a few tents of rain after a couple of weeks without it, and the kinds of handstands and roundoffs that you want to do out in the parking lot on the way to your trucks. Three years and two months of no rain. And here it is. And it comes heavy and hard and beautiful. Think about that rain falling on Ahab and all those returning to their homes. They've seen victory. They don't admit it. But it's there. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Baal couldn't provide us with anything. And now the almighty Yahweh has given fire and he's given rain. The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, this day let it be known that you are God. And the true God answers by fire, who has now taken our curse away and granting us showers of blessing in the return of his mercy. It speaks to the utter annihilation of an impotent Baal. No, all these and every good and perfect gift can only come from above, coming down from the Father of lights, granted by way of the power of God's word and spirit. It was grace like rain pouring down. Because that rain was life. That water was life. Life for the land, life for the people. Watering the land, causing vegetation once more to sprout that had lain dormant for the past years. It would cause the streams to flow again and cut the land again and water being found in abundance. It was a great blessing beyond our words tonight. But it was a blessing given for a purpose. Wallace writes, quote, Israel is to learn again this day that the God who sends fire to convert their hearts will also send rain to refresh and feed their bodies. It was both. The shower spoke to a spiritual reality that only God can work. And it's that of reversal. Because as sinful as Ahab was, as broken as Israel had become, the Lord can work grace and mercy in his time and in his way. He's reversing the curse of Deuteronomy 11. He's reversing that curse by way of the prayers even of one. The Lord has given life. He can work and grant, grant reversal, great reversal. Yahweh giving water in a dry and weary land where there was little to none. Pouring out grace and in so doing giving life. But yet what does that rain most fully represent? It's a reminder that God has given his word. 
and that Elijah's mediatorial prayers have been received on the basis of God's promises. Yahweh has received all of it. The sacrifice and the prayers. It speaks a blessed reversal. But don't stop there. Don't stop there in your own life. Where God has given his blessings again after a time of hardship and sorrow. In a time of prayerlessness. In a time of drought in relationship with him. Things must be good again, right? No, the curse needs to be more than lifted. It needs to be defeated. Restoration truly can happen only with the removal of that curse. The rain speaks of his willingness to do so. A restoration that can only come by water. And so now in that rain, Israel enjoys in that moment a taste, a blessing, a soaking experience of God's covenant faithfulness. Because God's mercy extended. That Elijah, even as imperfect mediator of that covenant, would point to a mediator to come who would sacrifice himself to work that great reversal, who would take our curse and grant us blessing, taking our sin and shame and curse and granting us his righteousness. It is the only way that Israel, that Ahab, that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. By taking our sin and granting us his righteousness. And so what this text says is what? We need that rain. We need the blessing poured down upon us of covenant fulfillment in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what must come for us. It's the only way to be restored to God by his word and promise. It's our only hope. It is the only comfort for body and soul. And so it is this Yahweh who Davis writes is the God of dramatic intervention and daily provision. But he must be believed and he alone. Because Jesus Christ in his word and mediation and sacrifice must be believed and received and embraced. And it's not enough for you to sit here tonight and say, well, I know it. Or to say it. Or to be able to speak of it. Or even to know the events of the story. It's not enough. You are called to humble yourself before the Lord in real contrition and repentance. You're called to cry out to him for an undeserved salvation according to his promises. You are called to believe and put all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That you may be saved. And so we pray, God, work such a reversal in these people that they would know your blessing. But nor the, more the, the restoration of a life abundant and free with the Father in union with his Son. That's what we long for in this text. And now that it's happened, Ahab's... Put the, put the brakes on the chariot. Stop. Stop your ride. Ahab rode and went back to Jezreel. He seeks to direct his life back there. To this cursed place that he has no business being in. Back to Jezebel. What are you doing? This can't be. What's happening? 
and yet the Lord pursues him. The Lord, by way of such a reversal of blessing, gives Ahab another sign of it. And the hand of the Lord, verse 46, was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That the prophet is blessed by God with energy and motivation to run. So that Ahab can be made very mindful of the power of the Lord, but also the direction that his life is truly to go. Do not follow your own way. You will follow the Lord. He's given a visible sign of the restoration of proper order. The Lord is to go out before the king and before his people. The Lord is to go forth before his people in power. The king and the people are to follow the authority of the word and of its word bearer. And the same holds true for us. His word goes before us in power and authority. And we are to follow it without compromise as we humble ourselves and follow him. But the Lord keeps working this restoration in us by grace through faith. And if this narrative, the Lord will restore that in his time and way to you. So Elijah runs the whole of that 17-mile run in the power of the Lord so that as Ahab turns off the road, Elijah and the work and the call and the word of God are the last thing he sees. Another testimony of covenant blessing and covenant purpose. The Lord has given a promised reign by his word, but Ahab is now called to a decision. Will you return to the promised reigning that you have been called to by that word? Word play there, folks. Will you return? And that's his call upon us tonight, too. To a decision by his word and spirit. Will you follow the word or will you go your own way? Will you submit to the Lord and thank for his blessing and in the time that he gives it? Or will you deny them to continue in a way of curse? Again, the call, choose this day whom you will serve. Follow his leading, his direction, and his word. Cry out to the Yahweh who lives, who always keeps his promises. Call out to him in those promises, knowing that he fulfills them by his word. By the word made flesh, even our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the wonder of your word. And for what it works by way of of sure promises. And Lord, our hearts lament over the response of Ahab and of all of Israel until we recognize our own stubbornness of heart. Father, of all of the idolatries that we go after and when they are removed, Father, there is openness there and and we don't run again to you, but, but it's as though we're looking for something else to fill that space. And so, Father, help our unbelief and increase our faith. And drive us back to those sure promises to find that our salvation is only in you and in you alone, in your Son. That Father, help us when you pour out those blessings to be mindful as we wait upon you. That Lord, we are waiting for something better. We are waiting for the full consummation of every one of your promises in Christ. And that Father, as we live our life now in the reality of those blessings, showers of blessings, an abundance, Father, of your goodness poured out upon us. Father, may that help us to understand the right ordering of our life in every way. 
that we will follow you, that we will chase after you. That, Lord, we would not be a people that needs to be pursued, but that would be pursuing you in every way by your word and spirit. And so, Father, work in your word that kind of decision, that kind of motivation, that kind of blessing. Give us the showers of blessing we need tonight, we pray in Jesus' name.